You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Episode 13. Episode 13. Coming your way. Yeah. We are uh, doing a little earlier today. Because. Mm-hmm. Kind of breakfast party. Yeah. Brunch. Yeah, brunchy. We had a nice little brunch. We're going to have some mimosas we to drink. Killer fucking cinnamon Yes. Buns. They were so good. They were so cute. So, trying them a little earlier. Take a nap. Sober up. And then go do things later. <laughs> Take a nap and sober up happen at the same time. Yeah, you know. I was up early this morning, and there wasn't a lot of caffeine involved, so we're going to see how this goes. It's going to be another doozy. (laughs) Maybe we should just say, this one isn't going to be a nightmare on the ones that aren't going to be a fucking disaster. All right, let's get this drink on the roll. Yeah. On the roll. On the roll. On the roll. We've been thinking about cinnamon rolls. It's fair. (laughs) Put this drink on a cinnamon roll. So, yeah. So, we're going- I just said cinnamon. (laughs) I assume everyone fucking buckle up because this is what today is going to be. <laughs> Kevin, we apologize yeah. now. This is post one drink. <laughs> yeah, one so not, seltzer. None of this is we, from drinks. Which we always start with one seltzer. So that way when we start drinking during the podcast, that's it. when we'll get tipsy. We're not tipsy yet. But mm. yeah, so since we're doing a brunchy type one, we're having mimosas with pineapple juice because I don't like orange juice. I was just going to say because we're fancy, but that's fine. We can also and we are orange and juice. We, we went to fucking Savers this week. And <laughs> found the most got, atrocious glasses. Found the most classiest atrocious glasses. They have a nice stemmed bottom. Like they're supposed to be like a fancy wine and or champagne flute. And they have some like glitter on it. And then they have a fucking mason, mason jar on top that has a lid. So <laughs> we're definitely going to take a picture with them yeah because they're atrocious also, we bought a set of four and they're each different colors because that's who we are <laughs> there was a set of eight which means some dickhead bought these at full price and they bought a full yeah. fucking set we bought them for two dollars my a mason pop. jar but also i want to drink champagne out yeah, of it they're real bad and i'm <laughs> real excited about it all right here we go we ready we are ready <laughs> Woo! yeah 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 Pouring a drink. Remember when you were like, tell your you glass, tilt your glass. <laughs> All right. I'm Brady Petrino. I'm Martha Barber. <laughs> and this is, but first, let's, let's talk, talk nerdy. nerdy. Yeah. You hear that mason jar <laughs> there? <laughs> we so fucking fancy. We even splurged and got the like, $8 bottle of Barefoot Bubbly yeah. instead of the Andre. This isn't a nasty week, but it's not an Andre week either. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we can get Osti. Uh, yeah. All right. Any news? Anything to talk about? Oh! <laughs> so this isn't really important, but this week I found out that Lou Begra of Mumbo <laughs> Number 5 fame is actually fucking German. So Martha hasn't shut up about this. And she it's important. It. She texted me at like 1 in the morning the other day I texted Roy at 1 in the morning our time, which means it was 4 in the morning <laughs> his time. My brain is broken. I feel betrayed. So that's, that's all I've got. This is the news for this week. Mambo number five is a German tune. All right. 
I'm excited about my topic and I'm excited about your topic, but I'm more excited about the nap I get to oh, take yeah. after. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for my topic, we're going a little bit with July being the month of wrath. Yeah. My topic is Phantom of the Opera, greatest love story of all time, or, but definitely not. No. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So just quick, my sources, I read an article by someone who just goes by Amy. She had like a blog called um, Romanticized Abuse, The Phantom of the Opera, Wikipedia, and then, of course, Phantom of the Opera, the musical, and the book. I see why this is going to be a heated topic. <laughs> yes. We hate romanticized abuse. Yes. We're not fans no, thank of you. any of that. If you've never heard us talk about how <laughs> we want to kill the Joker. Here we go. We're ready? Phantom we, the Opera. So fucking ready. All right. Phantom the Opera. Still classified as a great love story and one of the most haunting love stories of all time. Literally in billboards, they will be like, greatest love story of all time. Uh, I'm pretty sure the most haunting love story of all time is that Christmas ghost movie that we watched. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, Christmas spirit. Best Christmas movie ever if you guys want to watch it. It's on, I think, Hulu and Netflix. I watched it the other night. (laughs) I I stand by that a thousand percent, though. (laughs) That's a true fact. (laughs) Okay. The only thing true of any of that statement is the word haunting. When you refer to this love story, they're referring to Christine and the Phantom, which many fans of Phantom of the Opera actually ship, but they ignore the stalkering, physical, and emotional abuse, the gaslighting, and the kidnapping and murder that's also thrown in. Bum! (laughs) Bum, 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 bum! Yes. (laughs) Some of my favorite topics. All right. (laughs) Oh. I thoroughly enjoy musicals, and this is the one that got me into musicals, other than, I guess, maybe, like, Disney. But, like, back when I was, like, nine, my sister would check out the two-disc CD at the library and listen to it. <gasps> That's and cute! I would listen to it, and then she brought me to see it twice when I was younger. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. So, um, a cute family thing. <laughs> and who knows, this could even be where my love of true crime might have started. <laughs> oh, because I'm obsessed with it right now. Okay. I'm going to be staying more directly with the book and the musical, The Phantom of the Opera. We don't need to talk about the shit show that they call a sequel because I'm really <laughs> angry. And I think Andrew Lloyd Webber either lost it or should have lost all of his credibility for that abomination that he made of the sequel. I remember that coming out whenever that did. So I never really actually even watched it, but I read a few books of synopsis and it, heard about me, it makes me rage and but makes I me want to vomit. Just heard that it was a sequel and that was bad. Oh, it's so bad. It's ridiculous. It, it's awful. And it goes against the book because I'm pretty sure the Phantom dies at the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. The movie version that I remember the most is the, like, real, real old The 1925. Version. Yep. The black and white silence. Oh, my God. Because they mm-hmm. do that. And he dies in that, too. Yeah. They do the weird makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's all, like, shit that's put under his skin. It's bonkers. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure he dies in that too. Yeah. So that's, that's the one I'm familiar with yeah. as well. Okay. Just gonna do a few quick premises. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna start off by saying the story premise that's listed on IMDb <laughs> is 
a young soprano becomes the obsession of a disfigured mus- musical genius who lives beneath the Paris Opera House. All right, The Phantom of the Opera was written by French author Gaston Leroux, and it was published in March of 1910. It was then adapted into the silent film in 1925, and then in 1986, Andrew Lloyd Webber created the musical, which is the longest-running show on Broadway. There are many other adaptations from movies, different other plays that were made of it, uh, but these are the most known tellings. Covers by gothy bands. The love story. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Okay, so a little background on the original, which is the book. The setting of the family opera came from the actual Paris Opera House that had many mysterious rumors about it. Also, there are a lot of details in the book that um, he took directly from the Paris Opera House. Like, the details of the underground lake are accurate. Ooh, spooky. Yeah. This is actually still used for training firefighters to practice swimming in the dark. What the fuck? Yeah, is that a weird fact? There's also the infamous chandelier crash. That would, that you, is a part of Family of the Opera. That was actually a real incident that oh, happened. Oh, shit. And uh, LaRue used all of the uh, the phantom mysteries. There was like a mystery and suspicion of something like that. And he truly believed them and defended those rumors even on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. It's like a conspiracy theory. And he was like, I'm going to write a musical about it and believe it forever a, and ever. A book, not a musical. Shit. LaRue is the author of the book. You're so right. <laughs> I was paying attention. I swear to God, I'm just a mess. So... Quick background information on the character of the Phantom, because this is important to why it's a love story, I suppose. It's supposed to create fucking sympathy and feeling bad. So Eric is his name. I very rarely refer to him as Eric. I usually just call him the Phantom. But if I randomly say Eric, that is the Phantom's name. He suffered as a child. He was horribly abused and he was emotionally unstable and uh, physically and uh, psychologically. It's a long word. I don't think I've ever looked at that word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you've got psychological and then Allie. Yeah. Or psychologically. Yes. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck me, I guess. I don't know. I guess my brain still works for spelling, even though it's stupid. (laughs) And it is really sad. Like, it is a sad past, you know, and he needed help. And it was based in a time where that wasn't an option. (laughs) But his past doesn't excuse any of his behaviors, which I'll get into a little bit more. But it is essential to the story. Yeah. It helps you figure out why he's this way, but also it's not an excuse. But this background basically gives him the excuse to do what he does and still have this be considered a love story, which is disgusting. Stupid. Okay. It's set in 1881, Paris, France. A young girl named Christine Daae, who was orphaned when her father died, came to live at the opera house and she was trained as a chorus girl. Her father was a very talented and prominent violinist and she's anywhere from the ages of 15 to 20. It's never specifically mentioned, just different context clues puts her in this age range. Young. Yes. So young, she's, young, 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 young. She's young. Yes. 
instead of just going through the plot and just being like, and this is awful, and this is awful, I I broke it up into categories and then gave you examples of why he's awful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen or heard or listened to Family Opera, the movie isn't great, but it's not half bad, and it's a good quick version of it so just go watch it or watch the 1920s yeah or that or you can even listen to the soundtrack and basically know what's going on yeah like there definitely are gaps missing but it's not like a lot all right stalking we're gonna start with stalking not the ones on your feet (laughs) not stalkings (laughs) stalkings (laughs) Legal definition of stalking. I got this from like Webster's Dictionary. The act of crime of willfully and repeatedly following or harassing another person in circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to fear injury or death, especially because of express or implied threats. You see this constantly. Mm -hmm. Almost everywhere Christine goes... The Phantom goes. He's in her dressing room or the secret hallway behind the mirror of her dressing room. That's weird. Yes. That's one of like my big fears about going into dressing rooms. Yeah. So the opera, if you, if you don't know, the opera house has this whole underground network and secret hallways and passageways, which is how the Phantom moves about the opera house. Is the real one? I think so, which is why I think they also mentioned the how it actually does have that underwater thing as well. Yeah. But that's how he moves around without anybody, and no one really knows, um, because everybody who's been there, other than him and Madame Giry, are, like, new to the place, so they don't know. So, basically, he's everywhere she goes, like, in the dressing room. At the end of Act 1, all panic breaks out, and Christine flees to the roof with Raoul in hopes that she can get away from him, but she can't because he follows her there, and once again, you'll see his jealousy rear its ugly head at that point. There's even at one point, she leaves the opera house and goes to her father's grave, and he follows her to... Her father's grave, uh, where she's trying to mourn and just find some comfort. And be alone. And get the fuck away from him, because he's everywhere she is when she's in the opera house. And somehow we're supposed to all see this as romantic act. It's so even beautiful though, that he yeah. wants to follow her everywhere and won't leave her the fuck alone. So that is the stalking that he does. Gross. Now we're going to get into the abuse, both emotional and physical. So, emotional abuse. Any kind of abuse that is emotional rather than physical in nature. It can include anything from verbal abuse and constant criticism to more subtle tactics, such as intimidation, manipulation, and refusal to ever be pleased. Gaslighting also falls under this category. So, verbal abuse. The Phantom is very, very jealous. And I could have made my own category for this, but it fits into so many of the other categories so that I'm like, well it'll be brought slap up. it on yeah. everything else. And because he's jealous, it ends up leading to a lot of verbal abuse. When Raul first talks to Christine in her dressing room, they end up reminiscing about their childhood memories because they end up knowing each other from the past as oh. children. And then he invites her out for a night of festivities to celebrate her great success that she had. The Phantom of his course is watching. This is in the dressing room behind the mirror. He ends up yelling angrily at her. He says, 
I'm going to try not to sing things because obviously this is awesome. Insolent boy, this slave of fashion, basking in your glory. Ignorant fool, this brave young suitor, sharing in my triumph. And so he's technically yelling about Raul, but he's yelling at her, like, how fucking dare you talk to him? How fucking dare he try to, you know, take what's mine? Yeah. And instantly she breaks and is under his manipulation. Bad. Then, after he kidnaps her and she passes out because he has a life size mannequin doll of her wearing a wedding dress. I mean, I would pass out too. <laughs> I would probably pass out and shit my pants. Do you still want to marry me? <laughs> and pee all at once. Oh, absolutely. There might be some vomit. Yeah. There's also, definitely going to be drool. The immediate thought I thought of, like, I'm behind your mirror, your dressing room mirrors. Uh, this is it. What if I just... <laughs> like, do you still love me? I'm plucking all of my eyebrows because they're connected now. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I just don't feel fuck. like, I don't know. Well, it was like, a, this was like a full-size mirror as opposed to like the makeup mirror she had that so had all of her makeup she... and stuff. Yeah. So it was like a big room. It was her own dressing room because she ended up being the lead in the play. It would still be the same problem for me. No, I would <laughs> still be like, God, look at this weird thing on me. <laughs> or like, look at this Weird Look stripe of, like, dark, dark hair on the back of my leg. I don't know if they shaved in 1884. Well, regardless, I would be like, <laughs> I'm pointing out the disgusting parts of myself in the mirror. <laughs> and then he would be like, I love you. I mean, have you seen his face? Have you seen my face? <laughs> no. What? <laughs> so, passes out. Wedding mannequin. Yeah. Dress. No. Wedding dress. So, when she wakes up. She's more clear-headed, and she goes over to him after he sings music of the night and rips off his mask because she's like, why the fuck are you wearing this mask? Who the fuck are you? Because this is, I'll mention it later, this is the first time she ever sees him. Oh. It's always just a voice before her then. Ah. Which we'll get into. He freaks out screams at her depending on the interpretation and most of them she sometimes just falls to the ground but usually he pushes her away making her fall to the ground we'll get into physical abuse and says damn you you little prying pandora you little demon is this what you wanted to see curse you you little lying delilah you little viper now you cannot ever be free damn you curse you all yelling singingly like <laughs> in the way that only musical people can yes, exactly so he not only shoves Freaks her the he fuck starts out. screaming at her yeah, and like blaming her freaking out yeah sorry you didn't say anything about your face and yes. you wore a mask and then i got curious and then like any true signs of an abuser he calms himself down, basically blames her for the outrage, tries to make her feel like, feel bad about his deformity, and basically is like, don't worry, you'll end up loving me. Ew. And she does sort of fall back into being like, what the fuck is happening, and feels a little bit bad, and hands him back his mask, almost like she's ashamed that she grabbed it from his face mm. and did any of this. All right, next is manipulation. So manipulation, the Phantom uses this all the time with Christine. So in the books, he first starts to get her to come with him 
by like threatening people, which I'll get into more later. But that's how it happens in the books. Then in the musical, so when Raoul first comes into the picture, she still believes that her father sent her the angel of music. And he basically threatens to stop teaching her and leave her if she goes with Raoul or shows any feeling towards him. And then at the end of the musical, he tries to force Christine to marry him in return to spare Raoul's life, who he is currently captured and has a noose around his neck. And basically like, you don't choose me, I'm going to kill him. But if you choose me, I'll let him go. You should marry me because... I have a noose around your boyfriend's neck. Basically. Be- fiance. Raul and Christine are engaged at this point. Just kidding. It's worse. Yes. <laughs> and then... You know what's really romantic? <laughs> trying to kill everyone around me. Right. And then another huge example is when the Phantom follows Christine to the cemetery in Act 2. It's after she knows she's going to be forced to perform an opera that the Phantom wrote. And basically fears for her life and her safety at this point. So she goes to her father's grave. She's trying to find some comfort and strength and probably even some closure. Because this whole time she thought the Phantom was like this angel of music that her dad sent her. Turns out he's a creep. turned into a fucking horror story of her life. So what does the Phantom do? He jumps on her when she's probably at one of her most vulnerable states. And so she sings this beautiful song of being like, I need strength. Help me say goodbye and move on and be strong enough to do this. And And he's like, I'll help you. And then, so off in the slight distance, she hears, he says, wandering child, so lost, so helpless, yearning for my guidance. And Christine, you can tell she's tired, she's confused, she's lost and scared. She's a baby. She's a baby, and she's so beyond herself right now. She responds with angel or father, friend or phantom, who is it there staring? And he ends up basically pulling her into another translate state and probably would have kidnapped her and tried to force her to marry him at that point. But Raul comes and pulls her out of it and saves her. Depending on if it's the the movie, they have like a sword fight. And in the the musical, he's more magical. So he's like throwing fireballs at, at Raul. Yeah. The next one, Intimidation. <laughs> Which has been mentioned liberally at this yes. point. Yes. So Christine lives in constant fear of him throughout the whole play, even when she isn't sure what he is and still thinks that he's this angel of music. Mm-hmm. She's still the rational part of her mind is like this is not fucking okay and it's fucking scary Mm -hmm. and there's multiple examples of this and i mentioned some in other categories but here's a few that are specifically in intimidation so the biggest one is act two the phantom like i said wrote an opera and christine was the lead and at one point she basically begs raul not to make her do it because she's She fears for her life. She fears for everyone around her. And she says, Raul, I'm frightened. Don't make me do this. Raul, it scares me. Don't put me through this ordeal. By fire, he'll take me, I know. We'll be parted forever and he won't let me go. 
What I once used to dream I now dread, and if he finds me, it won't ever end, and he'll always be there singing songs in my head. So she's, like, pleading, like, don't make me do yeah. it. But she she knows where it's going to go. It, yeah, she knows where it's going to go, but she kind of knows she doesn't have a choice. A choice. But she's she's petrified. We'll get back to that as I mention other things. Gaslighting. Ba, 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 ba. A big one. There's actually multiple articles on just like Fan of the Opera gaslighting. <laughs> like I bet it's huge. So gaslighting, for everyone who doesn't know, is an attempt to make someone believe that he or she is going insane as by subjecting that person to a series of experiences that have no rational explanation. Mm-hmm. That is the definition of gaslighting. And then there's a bunch of things that fall into it. Yes. So when the musical begins, it's brought to our attention that the Phantom of the Opera has been doing this for around three years. This is the same amount of time that Christine has been taking lessons from this mysterious music genius who she has never seen at this point. Like I said, until the Phantom of the Opera song happens and he kidnaps her the first time, she's never seen him in the musical. In the book, she's seen him. But in the musical, she hasn't. And when her father died, he said he was going to send her to the Angel of Music. And that is who she believes the Phantom is. So somehow the Phantom caught wind of Christine talking about this. I'm sure when she moved, she was upset. Her father just died. It got brought up and he overheard it. And he chose to pray, pray on her and her desperation to still have a connection with her dead father. That's who she believes he is, and she never, like I said, sees him. We often see Christine going from praise to fear while talking him, or vice versa. She'll be doing one thing really intensely, and then the next minute it will be the opposite emotion, because she really isn't sure who he is, or even if she's real. There's He's real. There's times where she's doubting that this is even a thing. In the beginning, after Christine's first big success, she's found by Meg, who's her friend and fellow chorus girl. And she tells Meg, Father once spoke of an angel, and I used to dream he'd appear. Now as I sing, I can sense him, and I know he's here. And then you can hear her almost go into a trance-like state in her singing. Here in this room, he calls me softly, somewhere inside, hiding. Somehow I know he's always with me. He, the unseen genius. Meg is like, girl, you're dreaming and you need to chill out because <laughs> that's crazy. And I know y'all didn't have therapy crazy, back then, but, but have you, you thought about therapy? therapy. <laughs> so, but Christine's still all in this like translate state that he's constantly putting her in and she continues on. Angel of music, hide no longer, secret and strange angel. So this makes it clear. She's never seen him before, and he remains this illusion of the angel of music. Strangel. Is that what I said? No, I did. Oh. Strange angel. (laughs) Strangel. (laughs) That's all. I'm like, hi, I have something to say, and it's just strangel. (laughs) Trying. But you see, as soon as she says this, and she's all in this state of being feeling him, she instantly flips the button and says, he's with me even now all around me. It frightens me. So she knows something's wrong, but at the same time, she can't figure it out, which is what 
gaslighting is making you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. And then we see this also happen again in a duet with her and Raul on the roof at the end. She's all like, I'm scared of him. And then she goes into this thing where she's like, but his soul fills my spirit with a strange sweet sound or something like that. <laughs> that's the lyrics and on and on from there. Yeah. That's the grossest thing. Ever. <laughs> and his voice is the music in my mind? I don't know. I can't remember Whatever. the exact words. I didn't, I didn't look that up. I know, if I'm singing it, I know the words. <laughs> All right. Um, more examples of this. Even the whole Phantom of the Opera song is basically all about him yep. being in her head. The Phantom of the Opera is there inside my mind or your mind, depending mm-hmm. on who's, who's singing. singing. It's all about him just being in her A head. A spooky dickhead. Yes. And she literally thinks she's going mad at a few points. She's like, I think I'm going crazy. I don't know what's happening. There's even a six-month period between Act 1 and Act 2 where the Phantom slash the Angel of Music vanishes and everything seems fine. So it's like, okay. Maybe, maybe he never existed. Maybe he didn't exist. Maybe it was some weird coincidences and I just was wrapped up in this thing and it's he weird was. and her and Raul get engaged and it seems okay. But then he actually shows himself to everyone. Actually, I'm here. Yes. All right, so that's some of the gaslighting that happens. Sorry. It's okay. It's just so depressing. (laughs) It's really depressing. Yeah. No, what a gross... Well, and he's like, I had a sad life, so I deserve this. Yeah, and like I said, we'll get more into that. Okay, Okay, so now we're going to get into the physical abuse. And so physical abuse is to use or to treat so as to injure or damage. As I mentioned above, when she rips his mask off for the first time, usually it's a common interpretation that he basically throws her down because he's pissed Mm -hmm. before he starts screaming at her. And then when Christine and Raul get engaged, you find out during the masquerade and she's wearing her ring on a chain because she doesn't want it to be super known yet. She's still a little nervous about mm-hmm. the Phantom. It's They even have this whole little part about it being a secret engagement for right now. And Raul's like, it's fine. And she's like, I'm still a little nervous. Let's just be quiet about it. And the Phantom appears in front of everyone. He sees the engagement ring on the chain around her neck. And he rips it off her neck, saying, your chains are still mine. You, uh, you will sing for me. Rude. Yes. she get it back? Um, so that's the ring he puts on her finger when he tries to force oh. her to marry him. And then when they escape, they she gets it back. But yeah, so that's I feel up. like that's such a dumb thing. It's fucked up. Here, well, how, I'm going to make you marry me with somebody gonna, else's how ring. How is he going to get a ring? He lives in the fucking basement of a fucking opera house. Sometimes he and his face is fucked up. For the graveyard, so he could have gone and dug up some graves and found some old-timey rings. You're right. Yeah. He Be creative, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> Uh, Isn't that your thing? But he obviously wanted to rub wound in the salt. <laughs> Did you see my face? As soon as I said wound, I knew it was wrong. And I was like, you just gotta <laughs> keep going. You already said it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm so tired. Okay. 
salt in the wound. I know. Wound. Oh no! This. Immediate face fall. I know. As soon as in I said wound first, salt. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. All right. And then the biggest example of physical abuse is at the end when he kidnaps her for the second time, which we'll get into kidnapping in a minute. He is holding her, grabbing her by the arm, which is clearly too tight. And you can, she's struggling away. He's dragging her and pulling her through the underground tunnels. She's clearly trying to fight back from him. And when he finally gets her to the lair, he throws her on the ground and forces her to put on that wedding dress. Also, just the fact that he has a lair. Like, you're a bad guy. You have a lair. <laughs> of course. he. Well, he lives under the opera house. Mm-hmm. He could have made it, like, a nice finished basement. I don't think he could have. No, he absolutely couldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about them earlier, so I thought I would bring it up again. Finished basement just needs some carpet and Mm -hmm. some walls. Yep. Carpet and walls. He has a river in his fucking lair. That's fancy. It's like the penguin. (laughs) Have you thought about having some themed, like, like floating around in your dumb nap? He's clearly trying to have the hot chick. It's just not working well for him well, because you know. he's an abusive dickhead. You need money for the hot yeah, chick. It's true. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. <laughs> All right. So kidnapping. Legal definition of kidnapping, an actor instance or the crime of seizing, confiding, abducting, or carrying away a person by force or fraud, often with a demand for ransom or furtherance of another crime. Okay, so two instances in the play, and I'll bring in the book uh, first. In the book, Christine often agrees to go with uh, Eric. This is the only time I mention it Eric, Eric because this was a quote. For the first time, because he threatens to kill people if she doesn't, and she's once asked, what compels you to go back? And she goes, if I do not go back, terrible misfortune may happen. I know I ought to feel sorry for people who live underground, but he's too horrible. And if I do not go back to him, he will come and fetch me with his voice, and he will drag me with him and go on his knees before me, and he will tell me that he loves me. Ew. Yeah. Ew, ew, so ew, that's ew, and ew. From the book. That's so many ewes. Like, yes. red flags all over the place. So, in the book, she... Like, fucking... Yeah. Mind the the, the first few times, she does agree to go with him, but it's True. still kidnapping, because it's still abducting and bringing a person by, like, a fraud mm-hmm. and being like, hey... I'm going to kill people if you don't yeah. come with me. That's You're still kidnapping if someone if you do that. You're making someone go yes. because you're threatening someone. That's still kidnapping. Yeah, that's still kidnapping. It was consensual. No. No, it wasn't. It was not. In the movie and the musical, he kidnaps her when he pulls her through the mirror in the dressing room, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the first time he basically does it by mesmerizing her and bringing her into that trance-like state that happens a lot. And no, remember, she could be as young as 15. Yeah. Well, she sounds like a fucking baby. And even if she's 20, you're still a fucking baby. Look at all those fucking girls on fucking Love Island that are 20. They're fucking babies. I almost almost (laughs) lost it. I almost did a spit take and I haven't had anything to drink. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. And like, even if she is 20... She acts like a fucking 15-year-old, so it doesn't matter. She's very emotionally stupid. Yes. Well, she's young. Emotionally young is where I meant to go with that. She never healed from her father. Yeah. 
And he never let her heal by pretending that he was the angel of music. So she's always yeah. felt her father was like, she Imagine was never able to get over her a person who's death. like, oh, hey, I like this person. Their parent died. I'm going to pretend to be a ghost version of their parent <laughs> to make them like me. Through the thing that they obviously Ooh. super connected through because her dad was a violinist yeah. and she's a baller singer. Also through the one thing that she probably makes money through. And the one thing that she probably like gets it's her livelihood out of. Yeah. It's her livelihood yeah. and the one thing that she can... Uh, yeah. It's so yeah. gross. It's gross. All right. So the time at the end, he ends up murdering the male lead of the opera, Pianji, and taking his place without anyone knowing. Christine Nobody does... like, hmm, weird face. So Christine does <laughs> end up... Because they have, like, masks on. He specifically wrote it. But his voice is completely different. Christine does figure it out. And they kind of figured he'd do something. They just didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. because they kind of had a trap set up. Christine figures it out. She rips off his mask, exposing his deformed face to the fully packed opera house. He flips out, grabs her, and forces her to come with him to his lair. All right. Next one, ownership. (laughs) The Phantom feels like he owns and is owed Christine. Clearly. It's that simple. He feels like she's his. Yeah. You don't own people. No. As we talked about. As we talked about when I don't own Chris Evans. (laughs) (laughs) I don't own you. You are a person, Chris Evans. You own yourself. (laughs) I understand this. I'm aware. I am a sane person that knows you can't own a person. Watch you through a fucking mirror like a creepazoid. And if I tried to enchant you with my singing, you would just go <laughs> deaf and run away. <laughs> so he feels like he owns Christine and he gets every time she tries to have any happiness with Raul. He basically tells her that she needs to love him and she will love him. Like I mentioned earlier, after he rips off her engagement ring from the chain around her neck, he says, your chains are still mine. You'll sing for me. Have you ever tried to rip a necklace off of your neck like a movie? No. Okay, because I have, of course, because... <laughs> have you met me? Of course I fucking have. I don't want to break my chain. It hurts really fucking bad. I'm sure it would. So, I also don't want to break my chain, and I'm sure it did hurt, and well, she's yeah. like a delicate no, flower. No, and I did it with a cheap, shitty chain, and I still had like a mark on the back <laughs> of my neck, so here we but are. But I could imagine that chain being like a real gold chain, yeah. and it would probably rip the really easily. Yeah, exactly. Tangenting. A lot of people Bro. find Raul boring, but I'm like, he is the... Stable. The stable gentleman of... And you're 15. Yes. And they've known each other. And fucking drama in your they've life. They've known each other for a long time. And he can take care of her. And he clearly cares. And as soon as, like, at first he, he is like, sweetie, this is... This is in your head, hon. And then he's like, oh, oh this no. is not in your head. And this is a fucking problem yes. that we need to fix. Mm-hmm. The only sane person. Well, no. She's... She's trying to be sane. Yeah. He is not letting her be sane. She obviously she needed some sane. therapy, but he is not letting her be sane. He no. is making her think she's crazy. Yeah. When He's she like, would I'm not exactly <laughs> she would not be crazy if he wasn't doing this no, to her. Yeah. She'd just be doing her thing as a chorus girl. There's also what one point where he was like, uh, he says, fear can turn to love. Eh. Yeah. You'll learn to see to find the man behind the monster. 
Yeah. Which at the end, she's like, I don't fear your face. You're just disgusting on the inside. Yeah. Your face has nothing to do with this. You're a disgusting human being. You made yourself into a dick. (laughs) Fucking straight you are. (laughs) And then... After he stalks her on to the roof at the end of Act 1, her and Raul say they love each other. And then they're like, okay, let's go back to what we need to do and we'll figure out what to do from here. And he ends up coming out of the shadows. And he says, or he sings, I gave you my music, made your song take wing, and now how you've repaid me, denied me, and betrayed me. He was bound to love you when he heard you sing. So he is basically like, how dare you? You betrayed me, you're mine. And the only reason he loves you is because you're a good singer. Which I made you. Which I made you. Mm -hmm. You're not this. So really, you're not worth any of this shit and you should come back to me. Last one here before we go into a nice little ending. Murder! Murder. Let's finish it off with murder. Definition of murder. (laughs) The crime of unlawfully killing a person, especially with malice. Especially with malice is going to be the name of my new techno band. (laughs) Oh my fuck. I actually really love that. Uh, All right. That's going to be a button. Oh, yes, that is good. Especially with malice. So he murders two people that we know of, at least definitely in the, the musical. I read the book a long time ago, so I can't really remember the book properly. So the first one is at the end of Act 1. It's Joseph Bouquet. So Joseph Bouquet is the chief stagehand and is found hanging close to the end of Act 1, like I just said. The reason why is a little bit different depending on the version, but he's also known to be the first one that talks about and describes the Phantom. And so that could be why he went for him and also like the shock factor because they were starting to like not listen to what the Phantom wanted. And so he's like, one pay attention to me. And that's also when he drops the chandelier. They also say that he might have, that someone died on the chandelier fall. Mm. I think that's from the book. But just some random person. <laughs> Bummer. He's trying to go see the opera. At least you've got like a real sparkly death. That's, I mean. And that was back in the day when there wasn't electricity. So chandeliers were like literally candles. So you, oh. So I think it like set a big fire too. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're going to take a lot of shit with you. Yeah. By accident. Well, that's how, that's how it ends. Because it ends with another chandelier fall. And the whole fucking place, place lights on fire. Is there? Yeah. Yes. There is a chandelier fall in the second first act. But yeah, the place basically lights on fire at the end of yeah, season. I think I season prefer- two. Act two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would prefer the sparkly chandelier because it's more sparkly. Then there is Pianji, who is the lead male in the opera house. After forcing the opera to put on his overly dark and sexualized opera that we talked about earlier, Christine is the lead. Pianchi is found hanging. The Phantom killed him so he could take over the role in the middle of performance. So that way he could basically sexually assault and then kidnap Christine. Gross. Also, why so many hangings? Because it's more dramatic because these are fucking theater people. (laughs) No, for real. That's the actual answer. But, like, I did it with the rope in the opera. <laughs> Martha and I are having clue things going on. Today. 
<laughs> we have wrenched. Should I just use this as my candlestick? I mean, it's <laughs> literally when you were talking about it earlier, I wanted to be like, it's kind of like a candlestick. It's like a shitty goblet. Yes, it definitely is like a shitty goblet. We're talking about our cups again. Our cups are shitty goblins. <laughs> okay. Speaking of shitty goblin, are you a shitty goblin? Hi! Luna, you're Ow. interrupting our Stop fucking Stop stepping podcast. on my fucking bladder when I have to go <laughs> pee again. I have two paragraphs left. No worries, I'm good. Okay, so why is this seen as a love story? Honestly, it's hard to even come up with any kind of logical reason after everything I just told you. And I've never once felt like this was a love story between Christine and Phantom. I've never had this ship. I've always liked the canon of Christine and Raoul. All I can muster up is that this tragic love story and maybe is the phantom was abused and tortured as a child and then left to live a life alone in a basement and in the end after he kidnaps christine and tries to make him choose him or you know kill raul he ends up letting them go saying you alone can make your song take flight this story is also one of those stories that heavily implies that the heroine is responsible for healing the man but that idea is just fucking toxic. And yeah, I hate fuck it. that shit. And it's a horrifically distorted message about abusive relationships. So all these ideas that people have that it's romantic is not. There's nothing you can pull out of it. Every single part of it is toxic and horrifying. Another thing about this love story theory that people have between Christine and the Phantom. It's what we were saying before. I do not care what your past was. You are an abusive murderer. Mm -hmm. You are an abusive murderer. Yeah. You can feel sympathy for him. And all of that is awful. And obviously you don't want anyone to go through, like, being a child or any kind of history like that. But that sympathy all goes away as soon as you start manipulating a girl that could be as young as 15 years old and no older than 20. After the death of her father abusing her and then murdering people a lot of people have bad childhoods a lot of them do and it's really sad but guess what they don't go around murdering people nope you can also say that he reformed himself by learning the error of his ways in the end because he ended up letting christine and raul go still kill people but he kidnapped Christine and tried to kill Raul. They shouldn't have been there in the first place, so there was no, oh, well, he let them go. He did the right thing. They, the very, very they shouldn't have been there. He kidnapped them. He tried to kill them. You or still go to jail for this. Yes. Show. Cool motive, still fucking murder. That is attempted murder and kidnapping and abuse. One oh. of the lines Christine does say is, in your soul is where the true distortion lies. For real. He's like, I don't even care about your face anymore. You are a fucking awful piece of shit. You could look like fucking Billy Zane if you still kidnapped me and murdered a bunch of people. I'm Ted Bundy have. was hot. Yeah. Mm. And charismatic. In the 70s way. Well, yes. The 70s. <laughs> Duh. 
There's one I'm listening to on the first degree right now. The guy, his name is Travis something. And it was recent. It was like in 2014 or something. And basically everyone, uh, they're talking to one of the friends, was like, he was really nice and charming and he was attractive. Like you, blue hair, blue haired, blue eyed, blonde haired, like. Blue haired, blonde eyed. Whatever. Why? He's so. But the point is, the family opera is not a fucking love story Mm -hmm. unless you're going to talk about fucking Raul and Christine. And I guess the managers, they're probably gay together. Hmm. Well, even if you're not like into canon ships, she then being alone is still better than being with anybody who's a fucking monster. But also, get that bread, girl. An abusive fucking. Obviously. <laughs> Raul's cute too. And rich. I'm sorry, you're cute and rich. And cute clearly rich. a good guy. Like he like cute fucking fights rich. for her. You support me yes. in my like nonsense. At the end he was like don't exactly. he was like, Christine, don't fucking choose me over this life. I'd rather die than have you live a life with him. Why make her lie to you to save me? See? Fuck that. That's nonsense. Raul is better. Duh. And even if that's not your jam, he's still a better he's friend. He's a better person. <laughs> he's a person. <laughs> I'm sorry, you get to that point and you're not a person anymore. You're a fucking psychotic monster. You're a monster. It's not a love story. He does not love her. He's obsessed with her and he has fucking problems. Gross. And that is why it's not. It's not the greatest love story of all time. Let's not talk about it. because A haunting love story. And, and honestly, it just puts bad ideas of relationships in younger kids' heads. Younger theater people who are already so dramatic. Yes. Don't make it worse. Okay. <laughs> that was great, though. I like that a lot. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. You know how Disney kind of like puts films on an assembly line, but you know that when you're getting something from Pixar, because it takes so long to craft, that there's a lot of care put into it. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week. Your favorite podcast app and right here on the ESO Network. This is like a fucking mullet. Ah! <laughs> Party in the back. Ah! Oh my fuck. You're welcome. I'm gonna, Aren't you so glad you're my friend? I'm so glad I'm your friend. I'm also so glad we bought four of them. <laughs> we had to make sure guests can yeah, be also be as us. trashy and shitty as us. <laughs> Do you want to be trashy and shitty of us? Come visit us when there's not a plague. Um, I'm going to talk about Homestar Runner. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had just such a deep topic and now we're talking about motherfucking Homestar Runner. (laughs) In the early 2000s internet culture, but like mostly Homestar Runner. (laughs) 
shit. Okay. Oh, I wasn't ready. God, I'm so. We're gonna end on a lighter note here. A much, much lighter note. Where did I put my drink? Oh, I put it in my cup, and then I got lost. Um, yeah. So my sources. <laughs> so my sources today are uh, Wikipedia, obviously. Um, the HR Wiki, which is obviously Homestar Runner Wiki. An Oral History of Homestar Runner, the Internet's Favorite Cartoon by Luke Winky. Uh, Homestar Runner was the greatest web cartoon ever, and it's back by Emily Vanderwerf. And 16 Fast Facts about Homestar Runner by Rebecca O'Donnell. All right, so uh, we went back to the 90s recently with our Pride episode, which was a blast. So I'm going to bring you back to the year 2000. So we've got a fucking... Yeah, no, it's weird. (laughs) It's much weirder, and everything's on the internet. And Yeah, so we've got fucking Y2K, which... Oh, God. Yeah, we've got LimeWire ruining my computer. Oh, God. We also had Neopets. This is that pre-YouTube shit. Oh, my God, I love Pre-most social media shit. So YouTube started in 2005, MySpace started in 2007, AIM started in 1997, so all of this shit was passed through AIM or chat rooms, shit like that, LiveJournal was 1999. I'm not going to be able to properly explain internet culture pre-social media and pre-YouTube except for to say that it was really fucking weird, exceptionally fucking weird. Yeah. Um, videos became viral because you told your friends about them, either online or you were like, hey, you have to go look up this thing when you get home from school. <laughs> Which, what the fuck? Yeah. Look up gonads and strife when you get home from school. Yeah. <laughs> you could only go on the internet when no one needed the phone unless you were a rich kid with two phone lines or something fucking crazy like that. I can literally only imagine how much I fucking drove my family crazy because I spent a lot of time on the internet. Yep. And also, we only had one phone line because we were poor. Yeah, oh, so did we. Yeah, so it's a lot of Eventually like, we got two, but yeah. at the very beginning it was always one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the first few years. Like, I'm going to try and read fanfic for three hours yeah. and my parents are like, can you get off? I'm like, Nude. no. Yes! Do you talk about Snood? I don't, but... Snood was so good. Fuck, Snood, Snood was good. Snood stupid little fucking faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, like, it was a lot of fan sites. Like, all of the fan shit that you found was on fucking GeoCities, or it was on Web Rings. Web Rings? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was simultaneously both more personal and less personal, because you were putting less of your personal actual shit out there, Here's a couple other fun dates that we have in there. Cat. I'm a kitty cat. And I dance, dance, dance. Oh and I dance, dance, dance. That was 2004. Which, what? Jesus. Yeah. The hamster dance. Was 1998. It was a weird fucking time. Fuck. Like 1997 through 2005, everything was exploding. But yeah, so Homestar Runner, uh, the website started in 2000. It was a website that collected a series of weird internet cartoons animated in Flash. Aw, Flash. Uh, In the days when pretty much nobody was doing online animation or video, and much less finding success at it. The cartoons were short and silly, and they were terrific at generating memes before the word meme was used all the time. 
So where the fuck did all of this goddamn nonsense come from? So the creators of Homestar Runner, Mike and Matt Chapman, they were brothers. And apparently one of their friends (laughs) was listening to a local terrible Atlanta grocery store commercial with the Braves in it. And he said something like, Homestar Runner for the Braves, Mike Lemke. And Matt laughed and was like, what the hell is a Homestar Runner? And then they get stuck on it forever. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I feel like this is the most relatable thing in all of this, where you hear your friend make up a shitty joke and you're like, I can never get that out of my head. Now here we are. Um, so yeah, that was probably in like 1995 or something. And the phrase was just kind of bouncing around their head because they thought it was funny and weird. Um, so at one point in 1996, they were like, you know what would be fun? Let's make a children's book. Matt said it was like, hey, let's make one of these. Look at these weird kids books. Kids books are terrible. Like, let's make our own terrible kids book. Kid books are really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. They thought the idea of it seeming like it came from Japan and was poorly translated over here would be really fucking funny. And honestly, yes, you are not wrong. Um, so they created most of the characters or a good chunk of the characters in about two hours time. And then they made this, like, children's book just for themselves and some of their friends. They went to Kinko's and made a, like, copy of it. Kinko's. I know. That's awesome, a throwback. Yeah. So anywhere, it didn't really go anywhere for a while um, until they got out of college and started to fuck around with Flash. And they were starting to learn how to do Flash. And then they were also using these characters that they made for this dumb children's book. And they were like, well, might as well throw it up on the internet because we're doing this anyways. And Matt was all into making all of the most weird voices. So <laughs> why not? They were here to go <laughs> ready to roll. Um, so like early 2000, they pitched the idea that Homestar Runner was like every episode. There's a new competition. Homestar Runner is the good guy. Strong bad is the bad guy. And they're trying to compete doing things. One of the first like episodes of Homestar Runner is them competing. Like <laughs> I think it's like lifting grapes. How many groups can you lift? I don't know. They passed on the idea that it was just going to be their competitions all the time. And they were like, okay, well, wouldn't it be funny if we made this about the moments in between all of the competitions? And that stuff ended up being funnier. And then they decided to make a couple of that were, what's going on just in this random place? And it just went on from there. So the animation was pretty simple, uh, very static backgrounds and not a lot of movement. The videos were pretty short, like usually between one and five minutes. And they had like keyboard music and stuff in the background. Uh, It was fucking great. So the website started in 2000 and it started getting about a thousand hits or so a day in like 2001, maybe 2002-ish. Uh, They also started doing merch in 2001, which was mostly for themselves to have. One of the brothers bought a Strong Bad shirt, and the other one was like, I'm incredibly fucking jealous. I need this (laughs) Strong Bad shirt. I'm sure that's how that went. Also, the first time that they were doing merch, people had to mail in a check to their parents' house because their dad was doing, their dad's an accountant, and he was doing their accountant stuff for them. Mail in a check. Oh my fuck. Back in the day. It literally kills me. Oh my god, what would I do without PayPal? 
never pay for anything. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, like, I guess I'm not buying this because putting in my credit card information is too, too much, much work. Effort. <laughs> so many numbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we got into how this kind of got made and where this came from. So we have Homestar Runner. Homestyle Wano, that's his voice. <laughs> Can't say ours, he sounds like he has a goofy cold. Uh, he is the good guy. Um, he has legs, but he ha- doesn't have any arms because he never needed them. <laughs> he has the legs for running. He's a terrific athlete in a sport that they never tell you anything about. Is this a one that you don't need arms for? Yeah, well, I assume it's he's something about running soccer. because he's the Homestar Runner. Oh, he would be a good a good at soccer, yeah. And then he can never get a penalty. Only headbutts. Yeah, he's got a head and he's got feet. He's good for that shit. He also wears a hat with a propeller on top. And he cries when you show him a picture of a one-legged dog. Little butter. <laughs> he can make it on his own. All right, so with Homestar Runner, they live in Free Country, USA. Also within Free Country USA is Strong Badia, which is a country within Free Country USA, but it probably can't be counted as a country because their population is tire. Is what? Population. Tire. Just tire. That's it. That's what their population is. It just says tire. <laughs> the tire does live in Strong Badia. They do also have an army or, well, a gang. They have Strong Bad. And they have Strong Mad, Strong Bad's older brother, and then they have the Cheat, which is, I guess, close enough. Their gang is called the On Point Kings. Uh, once upon a time, they glued Marzipan and Homsar together and left them for dead, and then they had to go find a new place to hang out because they didn't want to hang out with them for dead. <laughs> oh my god, I hate it. <laughs> Yeah, so Homestar Runner is the main character, kind of. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a doofus. He's got a goofy voice. Uh, once upon a time, true facts. I got in trouble for doing that voice over the PA system at my job because they used to make me do announcements, and then after that, they never made me do announcements again. Yeah, the way to make sure you never mm-hmm. have to do something again is to fuck it. Up. Happy owl. <laughs> They're like, you can't do that again. I'm like, I don't know if I can stop myself. Hmm. Homestar was never as popular as his antagonist, Strong Bad. So Strong Bad is this guy who is wearing a red luchador mask. He has boxing gloves for hands. He's wearing pants, but no shirt. So, a uh, quote from one of those articles above was, Strong Bad was the unrestrained id that the internet had always needed, but didn't know it required. What made him palatable was that he lived in a world where he couldn't really accomplish much of anything. He might have been called a bad guy, but he lived in the middle of nowhere, making it that much harder to be truly villainous. He was the very definition of raising heck. Also, he had two hilarious brothers named Strong Mad and Strong Sad. (laughs) He was intended to be the main antagonist of the series, and then it got weirder, and it turns out being the antagonist in some goofy, tiny place... To someone as goofy and ridiculous as fucking Homestar Runner, it means that you don't get the opportunity to be too evil. So it's mostly just silly pranks and making fun of Strong Sad. <laughs> uh, he still talks big as if he is a villain mastermind, exaggerating his good qualities and his criminal exploits. 
Uh, Strong Bad's main role was answering fan emails, even though he wears boxing gloves. <laughs> so the SB emails, as they were called, started in 2001, where Strong Bad would basically make fun of people's spelling and grammar and barely answer the questions that they asked. Um, there's one great email that is one of their like most well-known, where it's just somebody who said, I love you, and then the name is just a key smash. It's just, you know. And they took the first chunk of it and he was like can i call you <laughs> and then now there's a song which big oh god be, so after at the end of that episode you had the come on for song and um within every episode or like email there would be a lot of weird fun easter eggs that you could click and get more out of the cartoon like more weird fucking scenes so good ugh Perfect early 2000s shit. Uh, NPR once said of Strong Bad, There are lots of nasty characters lurking in the shadowy corners of the World Wide Web. This is back when they used to call things the World Wide Web. You have to type in the WWW. Mm -hmm. But Strong Bad is just awful. And he's awfully funny, too. Also, Strong Bad describing himself says... Greetings, party people in the place to be. I am called Strong Bad. Hand over all your monies in a paper or plastic bag. Ladies form a line on the left for makeouts. Dudes form a line on the left for high fives. On the right for high fives. My bad, that's me. Like I said, I'm Strong Bad. I've, de- I've been described as cool, awesome, hot, video games, the hottest, and real hot. Me and my brother, and also the cheat, pretty much run the show around here, as well as serve as a multi-purpose criminal element. It's just so much. I'm like ridiculous. I've been described as cool, awesome, hot, video games, the hottest, and real, real hot. I'm like, which one of these didn't you describe yourself as strong bad? Yeah, one another one of my favorite strong bads <laughs> is one where he talks about flipping people off and all the like weird ways that he can, and all the different names. But he's still wearing fucking boxing gloves during the whole. I film. will say, as someone who was who is a kickboxing instructor, we would often flip each other Oh, yeah. But you can't get in trouble Mm -hmm. because you can't see it. Yeah. Because we think it's funny. It is. It's not. It's a little funny. It's It's funny enough that this email did well. It's funny the first one or two times Mm -hmm. you do it, but then it's not funny anymore. You had, like, double juice, around the world, all of these things like that, and I'm like, you're just wiggling a boxing glove at us in the screen. Sometimes it was fun with actual boxing gloves. You can can flip them off, Mm -hmm. so you can literally, like, flip them off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, uh, Homestar Runner comes to get a high five during this fucking thing. And he's like, uh, so since you, there's already like a cutout version of yourself, I'm going to have to charge you double. <laughs> I only accept gold nuggets or Denver nuggets or whatever you got on you. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of very absurd fucking nonsense. Um, so you also had the cheat who was Strong Bad's sidekick and Strong Mad's best friend. He's like a little fuzzy blob mouse thing, kind of like a shitty knockoff of Pikachu, but like very, very loosely. And his motto in his yearbook is that no rule is solid. Hence the cheat. Yeah, so the cheat is uh, he's knee height and yellow and furry with black cheetah spots on his back. 
He's got like a pointy nose. <laughs> Strong Bad says, and this is a quote, the cheat looks like a cheese or maybe an anvil. And Homestar once referred to him as <laughs> the Trivial Pursuit Cheese Wedge. And honestly, all of these things are so accurate. It's weird. <laughs> he speaks in squeaky sounds and growls, which everybody can understand except for you, the person who is watching the episode. So when the cheat introduces himself, he says, uh, yeah, I'm the cheat. What are you going to do about it? And he's obviously just squeaking and growling during this. This is subtitles. That's what I thought. Now let me finish. I help Strong Bad cheat at stuff, hence the name. Duh. I'm also a DJ down at Bubs on Friday night. Of course he is. <laughs> I'll put you on the guest list if you give me 20 bucks. Uh, I make cartoon animations with my computer. Don't ask me to make a video for your band. You guys suck. <laughs> Perfect. Um, in addition to those, you had Strong Mad, uh, who was Strong Bad's older brother, who was basically, he just grumbles and like occasionally yells sentences uh he has no neck at all whose head is just in his shoulders and he's wearing a wrestling singlet and then strong sad who is the youngest of the brothers uh he's got weird elephant feet and his body is round and gray strong sad's body makes the sound of an inflated rubber ball when hit which according to strong sad it is hit often <laughs> his head is white and has an odd lump on top referred to as a and I quote disturbing soft serve flip by strong bad <laughs> there was a long long list of the like nicknames that strong bad <laughs> has given strong sad and they are all cruel and hilarious <laughs> I fucking loved strong sad growing up so he was just like Clearly very, very depressed, but also, like, in the background and funny. There's one song where they're clapping, and then Strong Bad is like, I didn't know you had any rhythm, Strong Sad. And Strong Sad's like, oh, yeah, I've got tons of rhythm. He's just clapping by himself. It's so fucking strange and weird. Uh, there were a lot more characters, like a girl who is essentially shaped like a bell with a bell top. Her name was Marzipan, and she was the Homestar Runner's girlfriend sometimes. And he can't say ours, so he would call her Marzipan. Marzipan. <laughs> like, why are you like this Homestar Runner? I don't know. Um, coach Z, who was Homestar Runner's coach, he said gerbs a lot when talking about jobs. Um, yeah. <laughs> The king of town. Uh, they'd have a few holiday specials a year, including one for Halloween and then another for Decemberween, which was their winter holiday. <laughs> and they'd still have fucking costumes for all of these. So, like, you'd have a Christmas costume, which is fucking great. That's all I really want. All I want in my life. Like, have we thought about just celebrating Decemberween instead? I mean... Um, the Strong Bad emails also led to a lot of weird spin-off characters. Some of them were created by Strong Bad. Some of them were just weird versions of the characters that they put in, like, a different world. So, like, they would redo all of them in, like, an old-timey style, and everyone would be in black and white and look like fucking... What's that old Mickey cartoon? Steamboat. Thank you, Steamboat Willie. Yeah, it would all look like that sort of shit and have, like, silent writing down the bottom. Perfect. They also had one which was called 20X6, 
which was essentially like an anime world and everybody looked like a like very boss anime character from probably the 90s. Um, and then you also had, created by Strongbad, uh, Trogdor, the Burninator, which was one of the most popular emails that they did. Um, someone emailed Strongbad asking if he could draw a dragon because they wanted to see his drawing skills. So you get a step-by-step, which is starts with draw a S, draw a slightly different S, <laughs> And then a heavy metal song about Trogdor, who was a man. Actually, he was a dragon man. Actually, he was just a dragon, but he was still Trogdor! (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't going to be a whole song with it, but apparently Matt had been singing it to himself while he was making breakfast, and they were like, we have to put this shit in, it's ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Strongbad also created the Teen Girl Squad, which is one of my yes. favorites. Yes. That's so good. And also Little Brother. Um, so Teen Girl Squad was a purposely crudely drawn comic series drawn on a notebook uh, paper, which centers around four stereotypical uh, teenage girls' quest to become popular and look so good. Um, or so they say. And, of course, it's a strong bad email where a girl named Brittany, spelled like you, lol, uh, asks Strongbad to make a comic strip about her and four friends. Strongbad's spur-of-the-moment comic soon became a series of its own. They ended up having 15, like, different videos for it. And so the Strongbad emails, they ended up having over 200. In each issue, the blandly named girls, which are cheerleader, so-and-so, what's-her-face, and and the ugly one are performing typical teenage activities like going to the mall, attracting cute boys, or babysitting, but Strongbad's overactive imagination often subjects the girls to strange and gruesome deaths. Of course. Being killed doesn't usually seem to be a problem for the girls, however, as they usually return for the next issue, or sometimes simply later in the episode uh the two po- most popular gags in the series are the girls catchphrase so good that's the voice it's my voice imagine if that was my real voice we wouldn't live together i know we wouldn't be podcasting together that's definitely true <laughs> um or onomatopoeia when uh, when a character dies so like lathed or um msg'd <laughs> Um, there's also another gag where they end up saying, it's like, ow, my, something or other, um, to express pain in an unorthodox area, such as my, my most of me, or my style. (laughs) (laughs) Also, in in the first fucking issue, so-and-so is referred to as Kristen, which is one of the names from the original suggestion, and then, like, 30 seconds later, after she ends up dying for no reason, <laughs> one of them says, I missed Christine! Nah! <laughs> so he'd already forgotten the names after like 45 fucking seconds. Oh, so good. Between 2001 and 2002, that's when they first hit like a thousand hits a day. And by 2003, the site was hitting uh, several million hits a month. And almost a thousand emails a day. According to Matt Chapman, they didn't do any advertisement, which I can 100% confirm because I watched this from 
like start to finish mostly when it was happening. And like, sometimes they would get word of mouth endorsements from like bigger sites or like a band that they were fucking around with at the time. But, um, for the most part, it was just, it gained its popularity because people liked it. And they were like, look at this weird fucking thing that I watched. I'm like, I'm sorry. I stopped. I can't stop quoting this weird thing, but now you have to watch it. So here we are. A review published in the National Review characterized the site's humor as having the innocence of slapstick with the sharp satire of American popular culture and humor that tends to be cultural and not political, which is right on the money. And also the site generated music, like I was talking about the Trogdor music. I didn't mention the fucking... um, Strong Bad Techno, but there's an episode where they talk about Strong Bad. They ask Strong Bad about Techno, and he just makes Techno by all the weird ways that he talks. I'm like, no, no, no. But both Trogdor and Because It's Midnight by Limousine, which was a fake band that they made up for like a band names episode, were included in fucking Guitar Hero 2 and Guitar Hero Encore. And then their inclusion in the games is reportedly because one of the people who founded the games is a fan. Basically, the brothers got into this and then it fucking exploded and became something completely different. Like, literally, at the end of every day that I worked, when I worked with Roy or Evan, one of us, when the last person left, would say, it's over! Which is just Strong Bad saying it's over for the end of his fucking episode. <laughs> and none of us ever planned this. It just happened for, like, two fucking solid years. Yeah, Homestar Runner is one of those weird, weird fucking things that shaped the early internet, but wasn't, like, incredibly toxic and terrible. Yeah. Um, I know I've shown you the <laughs> little brother sketch because that's very yeah. important to me. Because every time anybody is sad about anything, I'm like, what up, what up? He mentioned it before. He can make it on his I'm own. On podcast about something. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up with Strong Bad with both my dad and my brother. We would watch it fucking weekly. Yeah, so it was... I was going to say, not surprising to anyone. Um, it was a, a huge fucking phenomena that grew out of some people who were like, you know, it would be funny if we made a shitty kid's book. And I feel like early 2000s internet is, that's the most definitive thing for early 2000s internet that there ever has been. Literally, no part of the early 2000s was not fucking incredibly strange. Because it's just us trying to figure out how to use the internet and how to not make it stupid. And then being like, oh, I guess it's stupid. So here we are. (laughs) So yeah, everyone. Thanks for tuning on in. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, episode 13. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Podbean. We are on Podbean. Remember, we are also on the ESO Network. You can check out all the other awesome nerd podcasts there Mm -hmm. as well. We'll be on some of those in the coming weeks. Yeah, so check us out. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at ESONetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.